Hello and welcome to episode 226 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we're stepping into the ring for another title fight in our review of the latest film in the Rocky franchise, Creed 3. But first, how are you, Scott? Oh, I'm good. You know, I was I, I saw this film with a friend of the podcast, Jay Habib, and both big fans of the Creed, the first two Creed movies. You know, I, I was only today years old, not today. I, I was only on the day that I watched this movie years old that I remembered that Creed 2 was not necessarily a popular film in the franchise. Um, people, I think, had a mixed reception on that, and I really liked Creed too, as almost as much as the first Creed movie. Um, and I think I liked them for different respects. But I, I was reminded as I was going through my review of that of that film on Letterboxd, trying to catch myself up quickly, reading some plots because frankly, I just didn't remember much of what happened in either of the first Creed movies. You know, five years later, we watched that. We watched Creed two. We reviewed Creed two on the podcast in 2018, I think. Um, we did. And it is the year of our Lord, 2023 now. So I had to be reminded what exactly happened. And, you know, I was jazzed. I was jazzed to to get some sports. I feel like it's been a long time since we talked about a sports movie, Scott, is what I'm going to say. And I feel like they bring, especially especially boxing films and especially movies in the Rocky franchise, they bring a very specific energy. And I, I was jazzed for it, Scott. I've been jazzed this week thinking about this movie. Yeah, it was like the way back. Has it been that long since we talked about one? That might have been the last one but um, yeah maybe yeah i I think with creed 2 it kind of depends on how much you or how you feel about them doing some of the rocky four beats again um but i certainly agree with you i thought it was as good as if not better than the first movie um so i was interested to see where we'll they were going to go to some degree we'll we'll talk more about that but Mm -hmm. um but yeah, no, I'm good, Scott. My voice may sound uh, different. It sounded different in the last episode because I was on my phone. That's it true. might sound different this time because I screamed quite a bit this afternoon. Um, but yes. I—that's because I've been here in Asheville. I, I think I think this is at this point. This is to me, Scott. What you, uh, you going to the tennis tournament in Cincinnati is because oh sure um, seems like I'm I'm here every year. But um, yeah, the Southern Conference tournament. Furman had quite a close shave this afternoon in the semifinals, but managed to win. They play tomorrow in the finals. I'll be going back and hoping that things end slightly differently than they did last year. But um, yeah, uh, still not at full strength, I guess, voice-wise, but at least it doesn't sound like I have a lisp, which is how it sounded last week when... uh, Did it actually? Is that that what you think? Yeah, it did. Okay. Interesting. But um, all is well in that department. I know everyone is really concerned, but um, my computer is is back up and running. So um, all is well in that department, which is good. Could have been a lot worse. but uh, Definitely could have been. I mean, I know we were texting right before we started the podcast, you know, a couple, you know, last week now. And we we're like, hmm, I'm not sure about this. Not sure how this is going to work um, for a variety of reasons. But yeah, it, it, tended, it ended up working, working out well enough, I'd say. Yeah, it was it was a fine one week fix, but um, yeah, I'm glad glad to be back uh, among the living as far as my computer is concerned. For sure, but, I'm I'm just flipping through I'm flipping through all of our notes looking for a sports movie, and I am in, I am at the beginning of the year in 2021, and I have not found a sports movie yet. So I'm thinking that the way back is probably it, or the way way back, the way back. I forget what you literally said it. I'm forgetting the name of it already. Yeah, the way the way back, the Ben Affleck movie. Yeah. 
One Night in Miami. Yeah, this is really entertaining stuff for our podcast listeners. I'm just going to say The Way Back is the last one, is the last one that we did. Yeah. Yep. Well, as mentioned, Scott, we can talk about another one now because our film today is Creed 3, not only starring Michael B. Jordan, but also directed by the star in his directorial debut. Creed 3 picks up with Jordan's Adonis Creed defending his title one last time against pretty boy Ricky Conlon. Entering retirement, Adonis hopes to settle down with wife Bianca, played by Tessa Thompson, and daughter Amara, while still staying involved at the Delphi Boxing Academy with trainer Duke, played by Wood Harris. But unexpectedly, a ghost from Donnie's childhood appears in the form of Damian Anderson, played by Jonathan Majors. Damian is a former Golden Gloves champion who has just been released after an 18-year prison sentence, a sentence which Adonis may or may not have had something to do with. Back on the streets of L.A., Damian is ready to fight again and begs Donnie to give him a title shot in spite of his lack of experience. Donnie resists at first, but soon an opportunity presents itself. But what Donnie doesn't realize is that this title fight will lead the two old friends on a collision course for each other, with plenty of demons from the past resurfacing along the way. Scott, does Creed 3 offer more pulse-pounding sports action for fans of the Rocky series, or is Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut a desperate attempt to find life in a franchise which is down for the count? I think, honestly, the way you set the question up, but I have to say more former than the latter, I think it does provide plenty of thrills in the sort of pulse-pounding boxing action element. In fact, I think that if I were to highlight the, the, the key notes of the film, the highest highs of the movie, I would say it is certainly the sort of climactic fight scenes in the film. I think that is the one thing that Michael B. Jordan, I wouldn't say brought a unique flair to, although I think he did put some of his, put some of his own touches and his own inspirations into crafting those fight scenes. And honestly, I think at the end of the day, a lot of people's mileage is going to vary by the quality of those fight scenes. I don't think people are really coming to the Creed and, and the Rocky movies before for the, you know, emotional drama of it all. Um, I am. The, yeah, you are. Yeah, we know. We know you you want your your Marvel movies to to be an emotional. You want you want your Marvel movies to be Tar Scott. It's clear. It's clear. I want everything to be that way. I mean, it. You need a little bit of. Is... You need a little bit of everything, though, Scott. You need a, you need a little bit of everything. You're not sure, going to Mission but... Impossible for the for the emotional melodrama. That's what I'm. That's what I'm going to say. Y- yes, but every movie is better when you actually care about the people who are involved. Even a Mission Impossible sure. movie. I like those movies because I care about. Yes, the stunts are amazing, but they wouldn't. It wouldn't be my favorite franchise if I didn't also like and care about like the main crew of of characters yeah th- th- that's fair but i don't think that's driven by by melodrama personally i don't i don't think that you care about ethan hunt because of the emotional melodrama of mission impossible 2 is what i'm going to say having just watched mission impossible 2 earlier tonight <laughs> i um, care more about dubs that's why i like mission impossible 2 but sure. <laughs> i was oh uh, jay watched that film for the first time tonight with me and what a, what a picture guys what a picture it's it's a quality film in my opinion it's it's a film um the quality of which almost killed the Mission Impossible franchise. Um, anyway, that said, not a, not a, not a, not a podcast about the Mission Impossible franchise. Although you know, later this year, hopefully, tune in for one. But I will say that it this is the hot the highs of the movie are the actually. I think this film has more shortcomings than the previous two Creed films. But I don't know if I put those those faults at the feet of Michael B. Jordan. I'm going to be honest. I don't think. I don't think that 
Ryan Kugler's brother, Keenan Kugler and Zach Balin really, really gave uh, MBJ the best material to work with in some of the departments. Again, I'm, I'm sure that that Michael B. Jordan has some role in the development of the film beyond just being behind the camera um, and obviously being a star in the film as well. I'm sure he I mean, I know he is a, he is the producer on the film, so he definitely has some hand in 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 the making of the of the soup. But I do think that the weakest parts of this movie are some of the character arcs, some of the development of the characters in this film. Um, it, it left a little bit to be desired. Honestly, it felt like that there might have been large swaths of this movie cut out, um, just sort of left on the cutting room floor, maybe even um, cut for time. I mean, we I guess people complain a lot about the runtimes of movies. This film feels short. It's under two hours and it felt under two hours when we got to the end of the film. I was like, huh, I kind of I kind of felt like this could have been longer. Um, I don't say that about movies too often, Scott, but I kind of felt like it could have been longer. And or that I think, time could have been reallocated sure that that as well sure yeah. yeah yeah that's 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 a fair way to put it as well i just yeah I'm a, i was a little bit um i think that if i was point to parts of the film that i was a little bit underwhelmed by i would point to the utilization of tessa thompson's character bianca um as well as a few other parts but things that i cannot complain about scott is i don't know if you've heard of this guy's name but at jonathan majors I think i think he might he might have it whatever it is um so crazy to think back to April 2019 or whenever when I watched Last Black Man in San Francisco and saw this guy for the first time. And he's just been electric and everything since then. Lovecraft Country was sort of the next thing I saw him in mid to late 2019. And the guy is just incredible. I mean, he really is. Like he steals almost every scene from Michael B. Jordan, in my opinion. Um, honestly, no, no, no disrespect, because I didn't think Michael B. Jordan was better in this than he has been in the last few things that I've seen him in, namely without remorse. And I spared myself from, I spared myself of journal for Jordan or whatever, but um, I'm sure that was, I don't, I don't have a good vibe from that movie. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think this, this really feels like it gets back to the kinds of performances that I sort of expected a la pre pandemic, frankly, think like, you know, just mercy, obviously stuff earlier in his career with the first two Creed movies and Fruitvale Station, Black Panther, etc. cetera. Um, it, it felt like much more in line with that, but man, Jonathan Majors is just, people must be lining up down the street to, to get in business with him in terms of having him in his movies because he really has that the stuff. Um, so excited that we have more of him to talk about later this year when Magazine Dreams comes out. I just can't sing his praises enough, honestly. And I think the electricity between him and Michael B. Jordan in this movie is real. And I think that's why a lot of the sort of climactic physical confrontations in the film work. And it's it's because of that just sort of honestly almost deranged level of um chemistry and and energy that that Majors brings to his character of Dame of Dame, uh Damian Anderson, who yeah, what I, you know, I, I think we're, we're going to talk about maybe how the film wraps up and, and, and loose ends. You were mentioning that you thought there were a few loose ends that didn't really feel effectively tied up. And I would generally agree with that. I think, you know, it's it's an interesting discussion to have that we're going to have. But overall, I liked more. I like this film more than I didn't like. I thought the big scenes delivered. I thought the smaller moments didn't. But overall, the thumbs up for me. I had a great time watching this movie and I'd 100% recommend it to people. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of summed it up there, Scott. You will have a good time watching this movie. It is a crowd pleaser. It is an entertaining sports movie. Um, If that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. For me, it left a little bit to be desired. And, you know, you can even go back to my Letterboxd review in 2018 when I saw Creed 2 and loved Creed 2. And I literally said, I don't think they should make another one of these movies because... Sure. It feels like they can't top this. And I think we I still, agreed on the podcast. I think we we both yeah. said that. We we're like, I, I was totally in agreement with you on that. And after seeing Creed three, despite the things I said there, um, I still agree with that proposition. Um, I don't think they they topped it. I don't really think they came close, honestly, in terms of the emotional impact of that movie, and particularly, you know, the final scenes and um, you know Rocky reckoning. I mean, uh, Adonis reckoning with his father's. Um, legacy and then you know rocky reconnecting with his son at the end of creed 2 like it was the perfect way for everyone to go out on top but that just doesn't happen in today's modern film landscape if you make money on a film you're going to make another film and um you know that's a mentality they took you know it took five years to get this one out but um here we are michael b jordan did it himself and i just don't think that this movie again has anywhere near the emotional impact as Creed II. I don't think it adds enough to the arcs of these characters to justify its existence. Um, Sure. I think that absolutely the performances are the highlight. Yes, Michael B. Jordan, very good. Yes, Jonathan Majors, you know, for the second week in a row, we think we can comfortably say Jonathan Majors is the best thing about the film we're reviewing. I definitely think that's true here with um, with Creed three. Um, he's he's a terrific villain. I mean, he, you know, it's funny. We just watched, you know, him as the villain in an MCU movie. And, you know, maybe that will turn out fine. But it feels like this type of villain character is what the MCU has been so desperate for and trying so hard for um, to have someone who is so, you know, magnetic, but also emotionally complex and like sympathetic in some regards like i mean you you don't just straight up hate this guy right like there's a lot of different um things that he's balancing there with um with i mean with the, the film character. the film is certainly framed in a way for you to feel i think deep pathos for dame in the first half of the film i mean it is it is literally narratively constructed so that you feel that way about yeah him. um and you know i think majors delivers a sympathetic character obviously there you know, light spoilers, I suppose, but there is there is something else going on with him. You, um, you know where this movie's headed. I mean, it, it is know, very as soon as you see the poster yes. and like the yes. the trailer, you know what is going to happen towards the end of this movie. But but even um, but even that, you know where this film is going because this film does not hide its cards very yeah. well, and um, nor is it nor is it trying to. It's a sports movie. It's a boxing movie, right? You have Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors. Like, it would kind of be a waste if you didn't make them fight each other. So, um, I just mean know, the, I just mean the betrayal in general too. Just sure, like I think sure, the, yeah. the the plot twist of the film and that mm-hmm. in the moment where that happens, if you will call it that, is very telegraphed. That too. Um, I do think that as a director, yes, Michael B. Jordan fight scenes are pretty incredible, especially the last oh, yeah. fight scene, you know, with him and. Um, and Damien, like, pretty amazing. Like, there's a moment where it completely cuts out all the audience, and there's just the two of them fighting in the ring. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, 
it's a little more like arcadey, I guess, uh, the way that the fighting is depicted. Yeah, but that totally works for me. Like, I uh, you 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 feel the punches and everything. Like, I really enjoyed it. Um, it went full. I mean, it went full Sherlock Holmes, Guy Ritchie, Sherlock Holmes in the slow mo. Yeah, a little bit. Hitting, getting hit, and having the sweat like fly off. It's it's yeah. it's really it's really well shot. But the other parts of the film were definitely lacking, in my opinion. Um, you know, especially when Majors isn't on screen. Like, I think the pacing was off in this movie. Like, that's some of the th- some of the stuff we're talking about. With maybe time could have been reallocated. It feels like there are like major things that happen in this movie that just all of a sudden happen out of nowhere and then happen very quickly. And sure. I'm like, wait a minute, that just happened? Like that was it? <laughs> um, I've had that. I had that reaction a couple of times. Diamond Dame nothing. just called into Stephen A. Smith's show, and that's that. What? Yeah. Well, that was an incredible moment. I, honestly, when they <laughs> they hard cut from something uh, a, a dramatic moment. Well, I mean, we've already said, but they, they hard cut from when Adonis yeah. basically has decided that he's going to fight Damien, that he's going to come out of retirement and fight Damien. And, you know, Martin, Bianca Stephen says something to him, like, all right, if you if that's what you got to do, you know, do it. He's yeah. like, all right, you know, I'm going to do it, whatever. And then hard cut from this dramatic moment. And the first thing we see is Stephen A. Smith's face. Like, that was amazing. I wanted to <laughs> applaud. But, um, but yeah, other things that happened, Scott, um, certain subplots, subplot with his mother, um, of course, Felicia Rashad reprising her role. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was resolved in a very abrupt way. Um, sure. I, I I will say, one one which you could of, also see coming a mile away too, which was which was the tough part. I think it made it even yeah, worse. I think that, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, a character Felix, right, who is the champion sure. that, that yeah. from Adonis's gem early in the movie. They kind of set him up as like he's going to be kind of a character, and like you know, a more important character. And then he fights Damien, and then he's gone from the movie. Like he's he's just gone. Um, he's cheering for him on the sidelines at the end of the film. That's about he, it. Sure, yeah. yeah. But thought that was a little off. <clears throat> I'm also a little confused by sort of the if they're if they're trying to have a th- a major theme in this movie, they do kind of set up an idea earlier. I'm not really sure where they go with it though. Like because there's this whole they continually harp on. This kind of point in the first half of the movie about well you don't have to fight to resolve all your problems right sure. and you know we have adonis's daughter is getting you know in trouble at school because she's fighting people i mean she straight up cold cocks this girl yeah. in the middle of class which she's is pretty epic thing. but um, just like bethany in the last of us last week man just dropped her yeah yeah so that happens and you know he's arguing with bianca about this right because bianca's saying you know you know you need to teach her that this is not the way to resolve your conflicts his mother again also adonis's mother also has some of this some has you know shares a similar perspective to bianca on this and then scott the movie basically in the end is like well adonis fights and he does resolve his problems so maybe he was right all along and I just don't know about that message because number one, it's just a little morally suspect, I guess. And number two, it doesn't seem like that's what they were setting up in like the first half of the movie, right? It seems like, you know, they wanted you to take, um, you know, to take Bianca and and Adonis's mother's side more. And yet, you know, again, he comes out of retirement, he fights, he, you know, resolves his problems, and then, you know, we, even at the very end, like we have. His daughter is now in the ring 
yeah. you know, sparring with him. It's like, okay, well, here we go. This is the next stage of the franchise. We're not going to do female creed with female creed with yeah. Adonis's. We're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call it. Uh, yeah. What's the what's the kid's name? Oh man, I don't remember the kid's Amara. name. Yeah, Amara. Yeah, she's gonna be Amara. Amara four. So I thought that was just kind of weird that that's. I mean, because again, you know where the plot is headed. Like, why now after like this is the eighth movie in the franchise or ninth movie in the franchise? Why are we doing this of like, oh, well, you don't have to fight to resolve your problems. Well, we're fighting in every movie, Scott. Like the fighting is the, is the, the highlight. The fighting is the movies. juice. <laughs> that is what these movies are about. That is what people come yeah. to see. Like, you know, if, if this was going to be your objective, they probably, the ship sailed on that probably like six movies ago. Like, so, so just as, just to put my, devil's advocate hat on for a second and mm -hmm. say, well, actually they did talk this out. There are two different scenes in the film. One after, after Donnie sort of spills the beans on his abusive childhood to Bianca. That's one scene where he talks out his emotions. Mm -hmm. Second scene after the fight, very end of the, like penultimate scene of the film goes into the locker room and talks to, and talks to Dame literally this 30 second conversation before but after they have fought like. after they have fought and talk and, and apologizing and they sort of they make amends that way if i were to put you know my most generous read of the film on be like the conflict resolution isn't in the fight it's in the sort of making up afterwards um i don't i don't know if i as the genuine viewer after i take my devil yeah. advocate hat off either a agree with that or, or b buy into it if that is the read of it if that is the in intended read of it i'm not sure i buy it um but I, I think that that is the most generous read of the film i think because do we really think dame changes his mind unless he loses the fight like do do, do we really because, no 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 yeah i don't no i don't because you know they go into the locker room and and he's a, you know like you said adonis apologizes and is like oh yeah you know i'm sorry it was my fault whatever all that and then you know, Damien is straight up like, oh, no, it wasn't your fault, which that's not how I had in interpreted his actions prior to the fight. So if, you know, yes, I, it's perfectly fine to say that the fight um, resolved that. But, yeah, I, I think, again, the movie sabotages its point a little bit because we know there's going to be a fight. There has to be a fight. It's a Creed movie. So, you know, let's not get into some sort of moralizing about you know is fighting the right way to resolve your problems or is it not because yeah to, to be fair i think the point about dame is a good one but i think i think the point about donnie probably still holds up I, like i don't think without having sort of that emotional confession to bianca even fighting damien would really have brought him any peace if that makes sense so i think as as a character the the sort of the the catharsis of talking about leon you know, his abusive group home dad. I don't, I don't think that even winning that, you know, 12 round epic against Dame would have had the emotional catharsis that he was, that he needs to move on from that point in his life, or even needs to, to have that conversation with Damien afterwards. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. He resolves his conflict with his wife, yeah. not by fighting. 
even though uh, earlier in the movie he's trying to fight, but um, yeah. you know, and, and to be clear, I don't think that's done well enough. I think that they could have well, they could have invested a lot more in the film into that. That's what I was going to say. The the yeah. problem is that that conflict feels so slight in comparison to yeah I the agree. rest of the movie, which is resolved by the fight, like we said. So I would agree. Eh. Yeah, yeah. I I just think in the end, Scott, slight is the word I would use. Like it is an entertaining time. Like, like I said, it's an, it's an enjoyable yeah. sports movie. The fight scenes are very, very well done. The performances are great, but this movie is not going to have any lasting impact on me in the way that Creed or Creed two did, or the original Rocky does. Sure. Um, I think these movies at this point have proven that they're about more than just, you know, sp sports movies. Yeah. Um, they're not. And, yeah. And that's why that the franchise has persisted. But I feel now with the franchise, as I do about many franchises, that they just need to learn to quit when they're ahead. Or at the very least, take, you know, plenty of time off, come back, you know, 30, 40 years from now with a new storyline. Like, we don't have to. There, there can be an end point to things. Um, so, sure. yeah, that that's my overall take. Scott Again. Harvey complaining about an ongoing franchise. What is new on this podcast in the year of our Lord 2023? I mean, look, my favorite trilogy of all time, you know, is the before trilogy. And I have said many times that, you know, they should not make another one. There's all kinds of people clamoring. Oh, they you're should going to eat shit when they make one in like 10 years. And they're like, well, but years. what I was going to say is I think I think <laughs> the time has passed now because right. It was every nine years. Last year would have been nine years from before midnight and they did not come out with a new one. So um, but, you know, if they, Julie they Delpy know. decides to unretire from 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 film, though, you know, you know, Slick Rick is, is going to be going to be cooking. Maybe, or again, maybe because, you know, they are uh, adults, they know that there can be an end to this thing and that before midnight is, you know, the natural end. But also, we're not talking about movies that are making hundreds of million dollars here in the same way that Creed and Marvel movies are. I understand, you know, if they make movies, they're going to, if they make money, they're going to make more movies. That's just the way it works. It, I just obviously wish that there was more, um, you know, narrative integrity here. I mean, look, to, to be fair, I think I think these people are trying to create a narrative are trying. It's not like they're not trying to have narrative integrity. It's like it's Kevin Feige is not engineering the Creed franchise and the Rocky franchise. Like if these are people like it is Ryan Coogler. Yeah. And before this film, it was also Sylvester Stallone, like making the stories for these movies, essentially. So I think that there is narrative integrity to that. Yeah. Uh, what I another thing that I I thought is that I almost feel like this would have been better as a second film in the franchise. Like obviously, yeah, you would have a had... lot of people have been saying this. Yeah, for sure. Oh, really? Okay. I think so. Um, I think this has been. A, I think this. Well, you're not the first person that I've heard or seen say say. Oh, this. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but anyway, I mean, obviously, you'd have to tweak some things. Like Adonis couldn't be in retirement or whatever and come out of retirement in the second film, really. which is which is a plot device that kind of seems it was is silly in the first place. In this, in yeah, this movie, yeah. But we could move on past that. Um, but yeah, it just feels like this is a self-contained story, right? Like we don't sure. know anything about this until we go into the movie and we get the first scene of the reveal of what happened with these two kids when they were younger. Whereas Creed two is, you know, the payoff of storylines that originated in the original Rocky movie, like going all the way back to 1975, 1976, whatever year that was. Yeah. Um, and 
And so that would make sense as the third movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it just feels, and not to keep going back over the same point, but it, it feels a little bit like, you know, a desperate attempt to just keep the franchise going. And, and you know, to their credit, it's a very good attempt um, because yeah. there's plenty of compelling things about the movie. But um, in the end, it just it doesn't measure up at all to the best of the franchise, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, the stuff with the kid, too, probably have to be a little bit tweaked. I mean, with Amara um, or maybe tweak Creed, too. I don't know. It's Eric. Yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to say. I think overall, though, you're right. Like the, the core of the story could have held up. And I think that's especially true when you think about Bianca, when you think about Tessa Thompson's character, who I thought was a pretty integral part of the emotional payoff. Yeah. And both honestly, both movies, but especially Creed 2. And and I have to say that one of the things that I think sort of sticks in my craw about this one in particular is that I feel like this film, it like it literally has all the ingredients to be just as good as the first two movies. It has the cast. I think it even has the narrative threads to do it, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't come together. One of those that was really frustrating to me is it, it, it feels like it feels kind of deranged that they just didn't do anything with Tessa Thompson's character in this film, just because of how important she was in the first two movies. Um, and like I said, that sort of emotional, the emotional side of it. I think having her tell him, be like, you got to talk about your feelings, man. And also just sort of teasing the ongoing thread of her own hearing loss, along with, of course, Amara's deafness. Um, I just feel like there's, there's some, I mean, there is something there. There are good ingredients there that we just decided to not cook with. Yeah, I, I mean that again. They, she was kind of set up to be sidelined just by the the nature of the movie itself. Because again, it's a story about these two guys yeah, who childhood. know each other from childhood and had this childhood incident that she doesn't even know about what exactly happened until halfway into the movie. So longer like, than that is the end of yeah. the, the end of the movie when she's learning about what happened. Yeah. Well, Jonathan Majors, Damien kind of fills her in a little bit when they're like at the the sure record he beats a guy yeah yeah Yeah. but not but But yeah she doesn't know exactly what adonis's involvement is until the very end so again there's it's like the way that the story is laid out there's not a whole lot that she can do um but i agree with you that that is a a weak point in the movie because she you know is a great actress and was an important character yeah to this franchise in the first two movies yeah, and I think another like strong benefit of the way they framed this movie is that I felt like with ha- having Amara there, I think you're. You, I totally agree with your points about have like working her into the narrative of like you got to talk about your your feelings. You can't just fight people like that. That is so mm-hmm. that is so half baked. But I think again, like I think the raw ingredients of having this this child who is born deaf because of Bianca's um, own like sort of the own, I think is, I don't know, I guess it's genetic condition or some hereditary condition mm-hmm. that she has with her hearing failing. And I think again, powerful ingredients. I, and I think that the sort of chemistry that the three of them have, Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, and I just looked at the name Mila Davis Kent have, I, I think that's like real, like the, like the, sure. the, the charm, the cuteness, the chemistry that the three of them have together is awesome. Like it is real star power, I think. And I was really appreciative of the way they just sort of seamlessly worked in that sort of ongoing element of the narrative, the the hearing loss into the film, the um, Amara being deaf. 
like that, I feel like people talk all the time about like real inclusivity in film is how we incorporate sort of whether you call it gender, sexuality, disability, whatever it might be. Inclusiveness in film is seamlessly integrating that where it's not, it isn't like what the film is about. It is just there. And I feel like this movie does that so well. Yeah. Like the, the sign language, the signing element of the film, the way that that's done. Like it's real. I think it's really it's not heavy handed. Yeah. It's not heavy handed. It's very strong. It feels like it just perfectly fits with what's going on. And they don't make a huge deal out of it in the movie because there's no reason to, it doesn't need to be, that doesn't need to be what the movie's about. Um, and again, I think, so I think just, I just think all of the good ingredients are there and it's just missing someone like cracking the nut of like, okay, what do we do with these ingredients to give that emotional payoff that we had in the first two films? And maybe you're right. Like maybe the film is just like inherently, it has to be about these two people from childhood. And there's this family element that can't get paid off. Like it feels like the mother sort of interwoven into that in some way, Felicia Rashad's character you were talking about earlier kind of agree that like the what like what's going on with that like it didn't feel super satisfying the sort of like relationship struggle that that this sort of arc of her hiding the truth about Damien writing to him and and all that stuff like it like something about that just didn't fully work for me either I mean I think it makes sense from a from an em empathy standpoint that why she would have hidden this information from him but I feel like that resolution and I think this is what you were saying earlier how quickly that arc resolves with her death doesn't feel completely satisfying um, either. So it's just, I think it's, again, I, I just keep going back to this notion that like everything was there. It just didn't get set up the right way or didn't get, it didn't get sort of paid off in the right way. Maybe is a better way to put it. Um, sometimes that's the most frustrating element of some films too, because they nailed some things and other things felt like a little bit of a letdown. Um, but I think because of that, it really gives it really does give me hope that when they inevitably make a Creed four, which I think that they will do, that the parts will be there again. Like they have them, they have the ingredients, they have everything they need. I think to keep to make good movies, it's just can they can they do it? Um, maybe they can't. Maybe they and you know I I would I would stick with if it was our group assessment that no no further Creed movie should be made after Creed two. I think I probably would have still agree. I mean I would still agree with that for sure. But when they inevitably make I don't know creed four and have crypto.com be the title sponsor in the title of the crypto.com's creed four um i yeah I because see now they've poisoned the well by making a third movie so it's like okay now i actually would be okay if they made a fourth movie to try and like you know yeah, double it, back and right yeah, yeah, some yeah. of the wrongs again yeah um i think it's possible yeah this is how we get stuck in these cycles, I guess. But I mean, this is my question for you guys. Like, do you have a stronger brand affinity for crypto.com now after seeing this movie? Um, no. How about the zone? No. no. How about, um, uh, is it Hennessy whiskey? What was the whiskey brand in the film that then? That yeah, was it was Hennessy. Yeah. Hen I oh mean, the, 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 this, this movie got paid for. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and talking about, I mean, transitioning to talk about the, the fights, I guess. Yeah. Again, this is, this is something else that, I felt like it was just a bit rushed. Like both fights, just like, like they decide three they're fights. Gonna... Three fights, Scott. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the I'm not really counting the beginning though, but the sure. first title fight between um, Felix and Felix. Yeah, I can't even remember his name. Felix, right Felix Chavez Felix, is his name. Felix and Damien, and then Adonis and Damien's fight. It's like they decide they're going to fight, and then two yeah. minutes later they're fighting. Like, yeah, we get the one training montage before Adonis and. 
um, Damien's it, fight. It because, was lightweight though compared. Yeah, compared to Brian. I mean, but you, it it felt yeah. like oh here we're gonna do the training montage because it's a Rocky movie, so we have to. Yeah. Um, and there just feels like no build up at all. Which like when you're in the fight, there like you know again because of the way that they're filmed, it's it's exciting enough. But like I just didn't feel like the sense of anticipation that I you know I feel like you should feel during yeah. these fight scenes because. They just, they just have, even the entrances, right? Like, they, you know, they have their entrances and everything, but it's not like, I feel like, it, you know, it doesn't qu quite measure up to what we've seen in the past, again, with with other Rocky and Creed films as far as building the anticipation for that fight. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the, fir I think the, fir the first fight of the, the sort of halfway point of the film fight, I think that makes sense. I think building that up, too much would have would have felt weird to have a huge climb like sort of crescendo yeah. up to that fight. I, I I thought that the sort of tenor that that one struck was was good enough. But I do agree. Like I was looking at my watch um, during the training montage leading into the leading into the Dodger Stadium fight scene, and I'm like, I am shocked. There's not like half an hour left in this movie. Like there's like 15 minutes left in the movie. Yeah, and like, I was just first, kind of surprised with the first fight. The one thing I will say is like we just don't see that much of Damien like preparing for the fight like because you know this guy has just gotten out of jail and right, yeah that's true he has not fight fought at all and you know the last yeah. thing we see of him like before this all goes down is like you know he is w being way too aggressive in the gym with felix when they're just sparring yeah. yeah and then you know the opportunity comes up because again and this is something else that is really half-baked is that ivan drago or uh, victor drago just like he's supposed to fight he's the one who's supposed to fight felix and yeah this you know thug who we later learn is you know uh, was in prison was in prison was working with, with yeah. yeah was working with damien like just runs up and, and injures him at the, the record label party or whatever it, like it happens so quickly and then it's like okay it, it it is such a like well we just have to we have to find some way in the plot to get damien in this fight so well, what's the simplest way we can do that? Well, we're just going to have random guy injure Drago at the party. And it happens so quick. And then it's like, well, I guess we have no choice but to put Damien into the fight. We don't get any more of him training. And then all of yeah, a sudden, I, yeah. we're, we're at the arena and apparently he's ready to to fight this guy. Yeah, I don't really have any, any problem with the way the fight sort of got engineered. I do think it's like kind of, it's, there's an interesting sort of angle of like, you, who, who else is done is is donnie gonna go find to fight this fight but i didn't really have so much a problem of the whole plotting and the scheming of damien there it as it comes out later. so quickly but Again. i do i do think that the, the the training montage missing i think i think that you're spot on about that i think yeah. we needed a damien training montage before before the fight i, I 100 percent agree with that it, it just happened so quickly with drago that like legitimately later in the film when um you know his mother shows him the photo uh -huh. I was sitting there for like five minutes, like, who was that guy in the photo again? Like, it, I was struggling to remember who the gotcha. person was that, like, he that Damien was in the photo with and why it was such a big deal that he was in the photo with this person. And then eventually it came back to me. But it's just like, you know. Well, as soon as, soon as it happened, like, at the party, the reason why it didn't, it worked for me was because as soon as it happened at the party, I'm like, this, like, this guy like Damien did this. Like, it was just like, yeah. I don't know if you felt that way as well. It's sort of immediately as it happens when he's, cause he's talking to Bianca as it happens. And you're just like, this is, this is all him. Um, yeah. 
And so that's why it kind of worked for me. Cause I felt <laughs> like that, that side of Damien is starting to sort of reveal itself when you see him in the ring, trying like almost injuring Chavez when they're sparring, you see this sort of um, take out of, of Drago. It happens fast. Yes. But I think in terms of a care of that sort of teasing out of this sort of sinister character of Damien, I think, I think it worked well as a, as a piece, but I, I do, I agree. Like it, the actual fight itself didn't happen too quickly. I think we needed some more, something more there, you know, like five, you know, five or 10 minutes or whatever there. You know, another thing with Damien is, and obviously, again, I think Majors gives a fantastic performance, um, but I feel like it's a little like wishy-washy what his motivations are because he, sure. you know, again, he, he gets out of jail, he wants the fight, and then, you know, he, he gets himself in this this title fight, and then he basically, like, tries to kill Felix in the ring. Um, and, and it becomes like, well, again, I feel like they flip back and forth between, like, well, is he trying to, like, why is he trying to get revenge on Adonis, right? Is it because he is upset that Adonis, like, got away and, you know, he had to end up doing all the time when they were both involved? Or no, is, he upset, is he upset that Adonis, like, never reached out to him or anything yes. when he was in prison? 100%. Well, yeah, again, I feel like there's moments of both, like... Well, I think I think that that sort of rage at like the sack this look at the sacrifice I made for you, which I do not regret making for you. But then look how you sort of you abandoned me afterwards. And I, I think the sort of rage comes out in both. Be like, I sacrificed this for you, and look what you got. Like you you abandoned yeah. me, and you got the life that I was going to live. I think it's sort of like the frustration is voiced as sort of all of it, but like the true the true anger lies in the betrayal, not the not the actual. Uh, Sort of yeah, that's time, that's probably true because yeah, again, in the end, when it's all said and done, he is in the locker room and he's like, "Well, it's it wasn't really you know your fault or yeah. whatever." Like you didn't make me happened. pull that gun or whatever. Yeah. Um. It, anything else you want to say about Jonathan Major's performance in general? Like, uh, you know, I do. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Flowers. Think, yeah. Yeah. So the performance. I mean, the performance is just it. It's honestly, Scott. I. I mean, I think I could point out to specific things that and i will in a second but i'll just say it, it is something about the the way he holds himself on screen the way he comports himself <laughs> the way he interacts non-verbally with everyone around him um hit well, the way he's able to manifest his energy like onto this onto the screen is incredible like it really is a special talent what he's able to do like you, you his body language the way the way he holds himself you instantly know exactly like it's like you know everything as if he as if he as if he sort of just monologued to you exactly what he was feeling. Like he just really lays it all out there for you. And such a it's such a special talent, I think, to be able to do that. One of the things that I appreciate about this character, and I, I'm sure some of this is is Michael B. Jordan, and some of this is also, I think, Majors, is is the specific character, the way his fighting style. One of the things that I really liked about this film is that it really did feel like Damien's fighting style was noticeably and identifiably different than a lot of like the more like I think traditional or, or well-coached boxers that you might find. There's particular moves and the way that he sort of like almost bull charges out of his corner coming into the fights is really, is really cool. I think the way that he blocks holding his two arms up in front of him. Um, I think that's like very different than how everyone else, especially obviously Michael B. Jordan, who he's fighting, um, you know, Creed, Creed blocks. 
I think that there's these ways this sort of almost I, you know, it, again, it's it's much more like brutal. It's much more visceral, like physical, and I don't know. I don't know other way to describe, it, like animalistic, almost in some ways. It's like somebody like, who fought in underground circles as a kid and then went to prison for eighteen yeah. years and now is fighting. Well, you know, in real I mean, he wasn't fighting in underground circles. I mean, he's talking about you're talking about fighting in the Golden Gloves, like very recognized competitions. But yeah, I know but, what you mean. But the vibe, the, the vibe. way they the way yeah. they depict it is really weird because he like they're going totally. through all these back rooms and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is very. It is very. That is very true. Um. And he's, but like, I think it's so cool to see that style. Cause I'm going to be honest, like, I'm not saying that there aren't obvious style differences between Creed and, and Drago and Creed and Wheeler and Rocky and Drago and Rocky and Creed. Like there, there are style differences. I, I, I get that. I'm not fluent enough in boxing to, to be able to break all those down for people, but just watching the film, like you could see this, you can really see the style differences of these two characters. And I thought that that was a really great touch on the film and was really well sort of acted out and performed by majors. Um, that's what I got on him. I do have a, a note about the, I do want to talk about the opening scene of the movie too. Uh, sorry. Not, I guess not the opening scene, the flashback scene in the film, um, the 2002 scene when they're younger, but that if you have any other thoughts, that is the opening scene. No, the opening scene is with, is with him fighting Wheeler is the first, is the first boxing fight, I think, isn't it? Or is the first scene literally them and, I think the first thing well, is them boxing. First of all, I think his name is Conlon, right? Oh, the, yeah, that's right. Wheeler's the other T- guy. Tony Bell, right? Tony Bellew is the is the actor, right? It's the yeah. actual real real fighter that he fights in the first movie. But um, yeah, pretty Ricky Conlon. Who is there? Some guy named Wheeler that he fights? Am I just making his name up? In one I think of the movies? He might be. <laughs> okay, great. This is perfect. I'm not gonna try to edit that out. We'll leave it up. Um, yeah, sorry, pretty Ricky Conlon. Yes, I thought that was so the first thought- the first scene in the film. Is it not? I thought that the fl- yeah, I think that the flashback is before the fight, right? Okay, sure, it doesn't matter. Then the first scene, yeah, I just want that that, that scene. Uh huh. When you're like, I don't know how you felt, Scott, watching that, but when I was watching that scene, starting like opening up the film, I was like, damn, Michael B. Jordan can do. I was like, I was just like, damn, like he's got, yeah. he's got it, like he's yeah. he has the eye for it. Um, I think there's a really, I think there's a pretty long tracking shot, um, going on too, he, and. He- he definitely has the eye. Like you'll get yeah, no argument from me there. It's just the other. There's some other, you know, intangibles like the the sure. pacing again. I think that he could have had sure. a little bit better control over. I think that's valid. I, I think the the end of the point that I was wanting to make was when I was watching that opening scene. I was like, damn, he's really he's got the eye for it. And then I'd say the re- like it, his sort of like filmmaking craft. It sort of peaks at the end of the movies, like the first scene and the last scene. I think there's a lot of. There's an immense craft and vision in those in those two scenes, and in the middle, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the phrase that we hate, Scott, but you know, I think he could refine his craft a little bit in future sure. films, is what I'll say. I'm not. Gonna I think say you. That, ha- that I think you hate it more than I do because I think there are times when I have felt that way. But yes, sure, sure. I mean, I think there's times where we all feel that way, but yeah, yeah. I think it's 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 less overused than it used to be, maybe. But we don't have to speak yeah. that that into the podcast, into the microphone. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Scott, any other topics you want to hit before we uh, we enter wrap up here? No, we I kind of I think I think kind of jumped around this. a lot, but I feel like we covered pretty much all yeah. of the major points. Yeah, we did jump around a lot. I, I think, yeah, I think we've covered almost everything. I, I do, I do wish I got I got I will circle. We talked to this about it, just to circle about it, around on it to a final point. It is a real bummer that they didn't do more with the mental health side of it for me. Like, yeah. I'm not saying like 
Donnie needs to have a therapy session in the middle of the movie and fix all his problems because that would be that would probably be worse than what they actually did in the film. To be honest, like if he got a therapist and in one session he you know he solved all his problems or whatever. But I just felt like it wasn't the the most half baked part of the film. But I I to, I share your concern that the film didn't fully commit to the the theme of you can't fight your way at all your problems mm -hmm. and there needs to be open communication and honesty about your, about your emotions and what you're feeling and your, and your, and your feelings. Yeah. And your feelings about, about stuff. I think that there needs to, there needed to be a little bit more dedication in the film to that. Cause I think that's important. I think that's, I mean, I feel like that's like, maybe, maybe this is out of pocket for me to say Scott, but I, I feel like it's subversive to say that in, in a film like this. Yeah, it's like actually kind of subversive to have that be because yeah, I mean, this is the ultimate macho spectacle. Like, and what the idea yeah. you're suggesting is the, the opposite of macho ideals. Exactly. Um, and you know, give Tessa Thompson serious. Make make Tessa Thompson do some serious movies, guys. She's good in this. Make Tessa Thompson great again. Yeah. Um, we had it so we had it so good in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, still need to see Little Woods. Still yeah. never yeah. check that one out somehow. Um, all right, Scott, what's your favorite scene or moment from this movie? I mean, if it's not the first scene, it's got to it's got to be the last scene, Scott. I, I will give an honorable mention. Sorry, quick honorable mention to uh, is it is it dinosaur onesie tea party? Oh my god, so good. His the I think it's like the first scene he has with his daughter. Yeah, or whatever. Where they have a little tea party and and she makes him dress up in a dinosaur onesie. So good. Oh my god, love that scene. Um, but my favorite actual scene, I mean, it's, it's the final fights. I mean, like you're kidding yourself if it's not, it is the most electric scene in the film. And yeah, the, the sort of dramatic choice to, you mentioned it very briefly, although we didn't talk about it that much, but they're having these sort of knockdown drag out first two rounds. And then there's this moment, I think in the start of the third round where <laughs> it's sort of, at first you feel like, you know, you're getting Donnie's perspective and he sort of is like almost hallucinating out the crowd or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then you realize this is this has been a this is a directorial choice to to almost have this sort of like anime like everyone else like the world disappears and you just have these two you know larger than life fighters you know duking it out and all the whole sound design is just like heavy breathing while they're fighting and and then it sort of snaps back to reality and it's the final the final round or whatever or it's the it's the end of the fourth the eleventh round and it's about to go into the final round. And I thought that worked for me. Some people are saying that didn't work for them I, that I was seeing online, at least. I thought it worked well. Um, I mean, cool. Also, I guess would have been cool if they showed if the last hour of the film is just the full 12 round fight or whatever <laughs> would have been great. Would've, you know, that would have been something else, too. But I think that dramatically worked really well. And then, man, when that punch, when that final punch goes through um, the block and you see and you see the punch break there and you see Damien's sort of like head whip back. I mean, you're talking about, you know, peak cinema, just great stuff. So happy to see this on the big screen. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, it's hard not to pick that scene. I would have mentioned the Stephen A. Smith moment also sure. if we didn't yeah. call that out earlier. What a, but what a, yeah. what a scene. Just to, to I, cut I, you know, from... It was a huge eye roll, but everyone knew who they were. To cut from that dramatic moment to, you know... It's such a deeply unserious individual uh, is definitely cracked me up. But um, I think he knew what he was doing with that. I think Michael B. Jordan definitely knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, narrative integrity. Stephen A. Smith, man known for narrative integrity. 
quite frankly, uh, quite frankly, Scott, what do you give this movie out of 10? I had a great time watching this movie, Scott. Um, seven, 7.4. It's a 6.8 for me. Like, I can't deny how excellent some elements of it are, but on the whole, it feels slight and it doesn't do it much to change my opinion that they should have just ended things with three, two. Sure. What? Okay, Scott, hear me out as a, as a, as a uh-huh. final counter. Creed four is a remake of Creed two with what you're describing. <laughs> uh, they're gonna we're gonna retcon we're gonna start retconning what you stuff now. we're gonna start retconning stuff now yeah it, we're one step away from this becoming yeah. halloween i guess um yeah F- 15 years from now we're gonna have a legacy sequel i mean they didn't i mean rocky already did that basically right so if you want to retcon yeah. rocky five i don't think anyone will mind i will say that <laughs> what about go. rocky balboa do people like rocky balboa i've never seen rocky balboa i think people think it's okay Definitely better than Rocky Five, but sure. All right, Scott, that'll do it for our review of Creed Three. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the final awards show before the Oscars, the the Indie Spirit Awards. Probably not the best predictor of the Oscars, but still fun to talk about. Um, And it'll be our last award season update before the Oscars. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. this episode of some like it scott scott as i teased before the break we had our last major award show before the oscars happened um this past saturday it was the indie spirit awards independent spirit awards um the annual event hosted by film independent as as you might um you know guess these are the awards specifically for independent films um and scott this year, the awards were live streamed on YouTube, which is, we just talked about this last um, week with the SAG Awards were also um, live streamed. But that was a YouTube and Netflix partnership. Um, they don't really have a partnership with anyone for the Independent Spirit Awards. In fact, um, Hassan Minaj, who was the host, made a few jokes about the fact that um, IFC previously televised this award show, um, literally the Independent Film Channel and yet determined that it was just so not profitable for them that they even the independent film channel would not show the independent film awards and uh even he 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 went on to have a a bit about how instead apparently they were showing the will ferrell film semi-pro on the ifc channel in place of the indie spirit awards so i thought that was pretty funny noted indie will ferrell is a noted indie i know i thought that was especially weird too but Mm. um anyway the ceremony was on youtube so you can go back and watch it if you so choose but um yeah scott uh you know we talked about this when they announced the nominations but um they are trying out the you know for the performance categories making them genderless and so Mm -hmm. there were only two performance awards you know major performance awards there was also a breakthrough uh performance award that was given out but the um, you know, there was a best lead performance with 10 nominations and there was a best supporting um, 
performance with 10 nominations. And Scott, guess what? Everything, Everywhere, All at Once won both of them. Um, mm-hmm. So, you, of course, you had Kihei Kwan winning for the supporting performance and then Michelle Yeoh winning for best lead performance. Um, you know, Scott, I don't know. Again, I don't think the Indie Spirit Awards have any sort of indicator as to what's to come next weekend with the Oscars, but it's starting to feel like maybe Michelle Yeoh is actually going to do the thing and Kate Blanchett is, is going to come up short. And, you know, again, I, I get it. I love Michelle Yeoh's performance. She's, you know, a, a very accomplished actress who's not gotten her due in the awards realm as opposed to Kate Blanchett. But I think more than anything for me, you know, this is the one chance for Tar to actually get something. It feels like on the evening. Um, and, you know, I think Tar, obviously, it was our joint number one movie of the year. It deserves an Oscar. Everything Everywhere All at Once is going to get plenty of Oscars on the evening. I just think that, um, you know, Tar deserves to get some flowers for what was probably the most outstanding element of the film, right? Kate Blanchett's performance. Um, but it's feeling like maybe, maybe that's not going to be the case. Maybe Everything Everywhere All at Once is just going to sweep everything. Like, this movie could end up winning. I mean, how many Oscars is it nominated for? Like, I think separate award categories. I think it's nominated for ten. Yeah, maybe it could it could legit win. You know, six to eight probably. Yeah, because um, it has two nominations in supporting. Because it's now seeming like the Daniels yeah. might even beat out Steven Spielberg for best. Well, I was going to say, I was I was going to say, like Scott, is there a real possibility where this where Tar or sorry not Tar everything ever wins more than six awards? Yes. Because that's more likely than not. It could win, you know, two performances, a director, a screenplay, a picture, right? That's five right there. Yeah. Uh, Best editing. Best editing, I think it will win. That's six. There's probably one or two other technical. I mean, mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's nominated for... uh... Um, it's, I mean, it's nominated for 10 different ones. So there's other awards that it I'll can buy it on the Western front will probably be its big competition and some of the other below the line. Um, I mean, original, yeah, okay. so original song is one original score is another. It probably won't. I mean, maybe it will probably won't win those two. Yeah. But maybe, I don't know. Well, interestingly, is it nominated for cinematography at the Oscars? No. Cinematography okay. is a wild category. I was about to say, interestingly, Tar yeah. actually won cinematography at the Indie Spirit Awards. And Tar is nominated for cinematography. Florian Hoffmeister, yeah. Yeah, and um, it could win. I mean, I think All Quiet, I think to your point about below the line categories, All Quiet might win. Although, who knows? Yeah, Ro- think- maybe they'll give another one to Roger Deakins for Empire. <laughs> Can you, Scott, sure. put, your, put yourself in your next Sunday night. You're at Lincoln Center. We're enjoying the ceremony. Empire of Light wins more Academy Awards than Tar. <laughs> Yeah, it would be hard to swallow, even if it is, you know, just Roger Deakins winning. But um, yeah, that would be that'd be a pretty tough look. But anyway, Scott, um, you know, in that regard, um, everything everywhere all at once continuing its sweep right at the Indie Spirit Awards. It wins both major performance categories. It does win for best director with the Daniels winning. It wins screenplay. It also um, wins best picture, of course. So. you know, wild times that, that this is happening, but um, you know, there's not much, not much interesting left to say about that. Probably, except like we're saying, we expect it to win many awards at the Oscars next weekend too. Some of the other things that I want to highlight, Scott, 
best first feature. Um, sure. That went to After Sun, as you might expect. A quintessential um, Indie Spirit Awards film. I mean, that is th that is the mm -hmm. place where this film gets recognized. Yeah, so that was a fun moment. Everyone was up on stage, including, you know, Adele Romanski and Barry Jenkins, right, who produced this film. So sure. um, Charlotte Wells was really thanking them, thanking them a lot. Um, Scott, the best uh, first screenplay award um, I was excited to see went to Emily the Criminal uh, and John Patton Ford um, mm -hmm. accepting that award. Um, he had a nice speech. He really... Um, Shouted out Aubrey Plaza for, you know, deciding to do this film, right? Um, you know, when she she probably had plenty of other opportunities that she could have taken um, and, you know, decided to make this movie in what he described was like the 110 degree heat for 20 days um, and, you know, for making much less money than she had probably would have gotten doing other projects. Of course, now she's going to be in a Marvel thing, so you know it all comes back around, I guess. But um, that's right. What did she announce for? She's she's in the 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 thing with Catherine Hahn, right? Uh, oh, she is they're doing okay. like a Agatha yeah, something. Yeah, Agatha, yeah. an Agatha prequel or whatever. I believe she's in that. Um, okay, but yeah, she's anyway. so witchy though. That's um, her vibe. That that works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was you know Stephen cool Yoon is in the Thunderbolts. Stephen Yoon got cast in the Thunderbolts. That's that's nah. got cast in the Thunderbolts. But that was a cool moment there of a director, you know, shouting out an actress for sort of, um, you know, making a sacrifice to be in this film that she obviously really believed in, and that paid sure. off. So that yeah. was cool. Um, Scott, some TV awards were also handed out. Um, the Bear. Oh my guy, are you are you going over documentary feature? You just trying not to jinx it? Is that what no, no. is that what you're doing? Well, yeah, that that's true. It's further down the list, but yeah, okay. I probably should mention it. But yes, I w I was happy to see that all the beauty in the bloodshed did win for best director, or best director, best documentary. But with that being said, um, you know, its competition is not the competition that it will have in the Oscars. You know, sure. Of all that breeds, yes, but otherwise, um, you know, you did not have um, Navalny or Fire of Love in there, yeah. so. Um, you know, I kind of expected that it was going to win, but um, I'm kind of surprised that Fire of Love and Navalny, I understand not being nominated, but I'm kind of surprised Fire of Love wasn't. But maybe because it got picked up by Search. But it was Neon, know. wasn't it? Oh, so, was it Neon? Oh, yeah, I think it right. was. Yeah, yeah, I believe you. I'm surprised that was it, it was on Hulu, right? So yeah, I think it was Neon. But um, well, Hulu could also be Searchlight, but I guess Searchlight doesn't do documentaries. But All the Beauty and the Bloodshed wins. I really do hope it wins um, next weekend. That would be maybe the highlight of the evening for me, it sounded like, because, again, Blanchett is probably not going to win. But, um, yeah. National I, Geographic I, is actually who picked it up. Fire oh, right. So it's a, it's Disney Plus. It's not Hulu. Well, I guess it is Hulu. It, it could be on Hulu. Yeah. It, could, yeah. it could be on Hulu and not Disney Plus. Right. I, I don't know. but um, So that probably doesn't even qualify as an independent film then right like i mean tar is a universal picture so uh, yeah i guess it's true um, i mean i guess it's technically a focus movie so maybe it does count i'm not sure moving I'm on i'm not sure we don't I'm need not sure. This anyway all the beauty and the bloodshed wins really great to see um on that topic random but um you know they released all the sight and sound ballots this week um for everyone oh no who, you're gonna who, talk about this no, 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 I'm not. I, I just wanted to say that on the All the Beauty and the Bloodshed note that uh, Nan Golden had a, a sight and sound ballad, Did which she? I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so go check her ballad out. Go check 
some of the others out. There's some wild takes on there. But anyway, um, she was not, unfortunately, at the Spirit Awards. They said she couldn't be there. But Laura Poitras and one of the other members of the organization um, yeah. was there. So um, so that was cool. Um, TV, Scott, I was I was uh, alluding to uh, the mm -hmm. winner. The big winner was kind of was The Bear, um, a show that I liked a lot. Um, it won for new scripted series and then it also won for Iowa Beery for her supporting performance um, in the new scripted series. I'd forgotten that Station Eleven had a couple of nominations, so that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Himesh Patel, Danielle Dudweiler, um, and then the overall show also was nominated there for best new scripted series. But um, Pachinko and then I mentioned ensemble cast. Do what? I was gonna say Pachinko won uh, on an did. award as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it did, and uh, I believe it was Justin Sean that accepted the award. But um, too, bad it, too bad it wasn't Coconata. But I mean, Justin Sean, no. and he, they pretty much shared the shared the creative responsibilities. Right, Coconata was not there, unfortunately. And then Scott, the last thing uh, I didn't mention this with the everything everywhere all at once sweep, but it did also sweep the best breakthrough performance, which is a only a a category at this um awards like i said but stephanie sue winning for that uh, winning for her performance and everything everywhere beating out i mean frankie corio probably being her her um biggest competition there from from after sun but Definitely. um yeah another do we feel like we're stretching one. stretching breakthrough performance for stephanie Shu? i guess i don't know I, how to how is that defined i thought that when i was watching it as well i was like she's really literally like, in shang chi <laughs> like one of the biggest films of that year but i, I, I yeah but i, I don't understand i mean that. i don't think she yeah. didn't really have a, a big part in that right but um no no you know uh, even but even like being in the marvelous mrs mazel where she does have a decent sized part like sure i feel like that's big i mean you know the other people in this category are like frankie corio again who had never been in anything gracia Filipich from marina which i don't know if she'd ever been anything for certainly not anything that anybody had seen and then the lead actor from Funny Pages, and then the lead actress from Palm Trees and Power Lines, which are movies that don't exist. But um, the you know again, these these performers are not anyone you've ever heard of. Probably don't really have any credits to their name. Yeah. I mean, Funny Pages Steph had like a huge had a huge release in New York. Yeah, um, I still Link, I still kind of want to see it actually. But yeah. um, directed by the guy who plays the, the younger brother and the Squid and the Whale. But um, yes, Owen Klein. Yes. Anyway, uh, Stephanie Hsu does win. Again, it is a little weird, I guess, that she was in there. You probably could have found somebody else. You know, again, just just spread the wealth, just to spread the wealth a little they bit. They absolutely but, certainly they could have gotten the 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 cellist, the cellist from Tar. Yeah, sure. I can't remember what her name is, but yeah, she was great. Yeah. Oh, I also forgot to mention, Scott, that um, the rehearsal one for best yeah. non-scripted documentary series. Nathan Fielder did accept the award. The award. He was very funny um as you might expect there, there is the rehearsal literally the opposite of something that is non-scripted it's in the name <laughs> it is in the name of the show talk about category props guys i mean they fooled everyone they really did um, yeah <laughs> it's that is just it's an enigma but it sure is very entertaining show but yeah scott that's the indie spirit awards um you know the ceremony itself was was fine i enjoyed watching it on youtube so i could skip through certain parts um all of the Hassan Minaj bits I mean I, I feel people people were getting a little upset about that right 
Um, I, I mean, I certainly didn't watch all of them. Like the monologue was like 10 or 12 minutes in the beginning, but um, you know, there, I, didn't think he, I saw some screen grab of like somebody hiding under a table. Well, I think that was, a, that was a scripted bit. So what happened okay. was, okay, okay. yeah, I, I definitely think that was a bit, what happened was he came up and was like, he was trying to, he came up to Kate Blanchett and was like, we're going to do some sort of, I don't even remember what the setup was, but he's like, we're going to do some sort of challenge. I'm going to give you like a prompt and you have to do like a reaction to it or something. And she was just like, you know, it was something that you would never actually realistically ask Kate Blanchett to do. Like it was something where she was going to be put on the spot and have to like do some dumb stuff. And so she starts hiding under the table, which was very funny. And then Todd Field goes under the table with her. And then I forget who it is. He goes over to one of the other tables, like right behind theirs and says, was it Francis McDormand? No, I can't remember who it was. But he says to somebody, hey, look, can you do it? And then she goes underneath the table with Kate Blanchett and Todd Field. So it clearly I seemed see. like something that was a stage pre-prepared. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, but, fair um, enough. I stand down. Yeah, it was fine. You know, the, the ceremony was was good with, with it being on YouTube and everything. And, you know, they, they didn't have any commercials. They, you know, kind of everyone, nobody was getting played off or anything like that. You know, everyone got to say their piece uh when they were up on stage which is probably you know has his good sure. good sides and bad sides but it was a fine ceremony um and now we just have the big one scott any uh final predictions you want to make i think we've kind of made our thoughts clear about what's going to happen I, I guess if you wanted to sort of predict at this point that the contentious categories would have to be best um you know actor. best actor best supporting actress probably and sure. then best uh director i think is also kind of up in the air um, yeah i think yeah actor oh man it's i think it's Austin. i think it's gonna be austin butler yeah I, I would just feel dumb not voting for the guy who who you know who played a did real the voice who did the yeah. voice yeah and you know again this is the this is the clash of the two things the academy loves most right you play a real person or you do a crazy physical transformation which is what Brendan Fraser did in the whale, but um, yeah. it just did seems you see like no, you didn't see Austin Butler at the end of Elvis. He does a physical transformation at the end of Elvis. He goes okay. to Fat Elvis. Well, then he he, he, he does Fat Elvis at the end. At the end he of, definitely uh, wins. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, Austin Butler. I'm gonna go Angela Bassett. Supporting actress. I think she's gonna get it. I could be wrong. Um, I do think Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Hsu split the everything vote there. I know that didn't happen at SAG. I think it's going to happen at the Academy Awards. Um, was there another one? Was there another one? director? Director, yeah. I think it's going to be the Daniels. I think. I think. I think there's real movement towards the everything, everywhere, all at once. I I Maybe. still think it's going to be Steven Spielberg. Like I do. I mean, maybe I just don't want to tell myself that it, it's not going to be. But um, Scott, I'll send you a link of uh, Shakespeare in Love versus. Uh, Versus Saving Private Ryan and Steven Spielberg's reaction after that award was announced. Well, CB but guess what? Guess who won Best Director that year, Scott? Uh, Steven Spielberg did. Um, That's even true. though they did not win Best Picture. But, um, and, and, you know, it does kind of seem like, you know, there, the, you have seen some examples of this in recent years, like with, um, obviously, you know, Coda winning last year, Sean Hader was not even nominated for Best Director. But then, even going back before that, uh, 2018, Peter Green Farrelly Book. doesn't win for Green, Green Book. Book. Yeah, Alfonso Cuarón wins instead. A couple years before that, you have 
Um, Damien Chazelle winning for La La Land, despite the fact that Moonlight wins Best Picture. So it is not it is not unheard of for there to be a director and picture split. I think um, people don't. I'm going to be honest, Scott. I just don't think that people are talking about the Fablements. I, I think that uh, there was a there was a heated conversation about who was going to win Best Picture in the years that you're describing. Like there was a race between Roma and Green Book. There was a race between La La Land and Moonlight. I, I don't, don't think, I don't think, think there's a race anymore. But I just don't think it even matters, right? Like, Scott, I think Steven Spielberg just, like, transcends all of that. And people, Maybe. you know, see his name and they know that, hey, he'll, this was like his – I mean, it's the same thing that Alfonso Cuaron did with with Roma, right? Like, it's it's his childhood movie, right? It's his – But people know, aren't praising that – praising Fablemans like they praised Roma. I, don't, I just don't think people are. I don't know about that. Um, again, I, I just think his name carries a lot of weight and – that's true. People at least know what this. Did he get nominated did. last year for West Side Story? Um, no. I think I, I think I don't think he did, which I think is I think that his name just doesn't carry as much weight as it used to. But when you're filling out that ballot for the final time, maybe it does. Yeah, I mean, I d- I definitely don't agree with that. But um, even still, his, his you know, with this being his pet project, I don't even know passion project. That's what I'm trying to say. Um. I think there's I, a core audience in the Academy that cares about that, but I think some of yeah. the newer members just care less about that. We'll see. I mean, yeah, we will. Obviously, obviously, I'm hope I, I hope I'm right. I fully acknowledge that I could be wrong, but um, sure. I mean, look, I, I just, if the, if the choice is between him and Daniels, I would vote for him, 100. percent I mean, yeah, I don't want to see Daniel Shiner get up there wearing whatever ridiculous thing he's probably going to wear to the Oscars. I mean, he had like a freaking persian rug that he was wearing yesterday at the indie spirit awards it was an homage to after sun i'm sure yeah of course <laughs> um i don't know what that guy's deal is but yeah um all right scott anything else you want just to a, add just a, just a solid stray at the end for the good good way to end it yeah 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 um anything no, that's else it. you want to add? i'm excited for us to be together to go to an oscars party yeah. a real a real oscars party um it'll be a lot of fun next week and then watch, yeah. and then as all as all humans should next week at eleven thirty Eastern time, pop on the Last of Us season finale. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one, but um, yeah, I'm excited too, Scott. Um, it'll be fun, and I'm sure we'll have some good content for the pod that'll come out of uh, the party. Maybe I should have a hand mic. So. We can do it live. Yeah, maybe so. All right, that should do it for this episode of Some Like It. Scott, Scott, where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton 2013 And I am at Scarvy Dent on all platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. But even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for our next episode of the podcast on which we will be talking about you guessed it the academy awards we'll be recapping all the winners from the evening and maybe talking a little bit about our experiences at the party at lincoln center but until then for scott shelton i'm scott harvey we'll see you down the road